Welcome to Mama Beaties, a podcast for women with type 1 diabetes by women with type 1 diabetes. Join us every Thursday as we navigate through pregnancy, birth and raising a child whilst living well with type 1 diabetes. The experiences shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Please seek the guidance of your treating team before making any changes to your diabetes or pregnancy care. Today your hosts are Ash, Kylie and Rachel and this is Mama Beaties. Thanks for that introduction, Rachel. Um, so I thought before we start, it's actually, it's been, you know, a few weeks since the, the three of us were together. So we might mm. go around and do a little bit of a host catch up and see where we all are with life. Rachel, oh, I yay! Start with you. Um, we've had a pretty uh, eventful week. So Will started daycare this week. And yeah, I was a huge emotional mess leading up to this because we've had 15 months pretty much just him and I at home. And um, when he has had care, it's been with family members. This was kind of the first time that we were um, away from each other, I guess. Um, And I was leaving him in care of someone else. He absolutely loved it. He was a champ and he had such a great time. And And then I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but the day after he took his first steps as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, he just has been a chatty little guy since. And um, what's really cool about our daycare is they have an app where they send through pictures and things. And it was just basically he got there and he saw that they had this massive collection of trucks and he just toddled towards them and started playing with them. And he spent hours playing with them apparently, but he had an absolute blast. And um, I mean, I, I, tr- I tried not to cry in front of him, but as I left the centre, I just was like a wreck. But luckily my husband was there with me. But yeah, I had a bit of a cry and then I went and like got my hair done to distract myself. But um, yeah, he was totally fine. And um, yeah, it's good timing because I'm going back to work in two weeks. So we'll be able to adjust and... I don't know if he catches any of the the germs and the sicknesses that tend to go around daycare. We've got a couple of weeks to deal with it. But apparently with COVID, there hasn't been as many sort of colds and things going around daycare anyway. So we might be lucky. But yeah, um, pretty full on week. And yeah, he started daycare and it totally went fine. So yeah. I'm so glad to hear that it went fine. And fingers crossed that the colds and flus do stay away. Because I think that's true. Like, I think there are less going around at the moment. One point for COVID. That's it. Yeah. What about you, Carly? How's your yeah. week been? Um, yeah, so my week, well, let's just jump on that daycare train. So I've spent like a week and a half home from work uh, because my kids, uh, first of all, Isabel uh, just had like a 24-hour vomiting bug, which is fine. Oh, no. um, and they can't attend daycare for 24 hours after their last vomit, oh. um, which is not a big deal. Like, that was fine. And then um, daycare called me because Noah had a snotty nose. Oh. Um, so I had to spend three days home with him and he had to have his third COVID test. He is 11 months old and he's had to have three oh, COVID tests already. Oh, no. That's brutal. Yeah, yeah, because anytime he gets a snotty nose, daycare's like, get him out, um, which I understand. But it's also really difficult because, as we've just said, um, daycares just have bugs because you can't put <laughs> that many kids in a room together. I'm just wondering now how many kids they send off for COVID tests. 
um, a lot. Yeah. Like um, both of my kids have had multiple COVID tests. Um, and yeah, so yeah, three days off I spent this week with him. Um, and our GP literally laughed at me on the phone when I rang to explain the situation. And he was like, uh, how old is Noah? And I was like, yeah, he's 11 months old. And he's like, right. And so he attends daycare how many days a week? And I explained the whole thing. And he's like, okay, so he's just a toddler who goes to daycare. And I was Mm. like, yes, but we need to get a COVID test, which we did. Mm. Um, And he was a champ about it as he has been the whole time. Um, He is just such a trooper and he just gets poked and prodded and doesn't have a care in the world and his test came back negative which we expected um I said I would be really concerned if Noah came back positive because we go nowhere and do nothing Mm. um and our you know whole region has no cases or anything like that so I said our whole town would be like (laughs) have to be shut down if Noah came back positive um but other than that I'm going really well I've taken on a new role at work um which is a much less stressful um position and it means I get to spend way more time with my kiddos at home oh awesome um yeah so doing really well um and just cruising along diabetes is just there at the moment mm, doing that's its kind thing of nice. <laughs> yeah mm, so it's what about you having to worry about um yeah. yeah I guess I've had maybe like a I would say a tumultuous week <laughs> right so we had a few kind of delays with the kitchen renovations which are um I ended up not last weekend the weekend before um going to get checked out at maternity um at the obstetric unit uh because I'd had like a week solid of just absolutely splitting headaches um coupled with a bloody nose so it's like every day I was getting headaches multiple bloody noses I was just not feeling great. So they just kind of said, come in and we'll do a, you know, a bit of an assessment to make sure you don't have preeclampsia. Um, it was not preeclampsia, but it did turn out that we had way too much renovation dust in our house. So oh. we had to move out. So oh, we're wow. living now with my mum on the Gold Coast. Um, she waits on me hand and foot, which is lovely. <laughs> You're pregnant. <laughs> that, that's what you want in that yes. first trimester as well. Like just oh, before so everything good. gets crazy busy. It's good to have yeah. that extra support there. Yes. Everybody cooks for me and I don't have to clean. And I just kind of sit around like a useless lump. So it's great. <laughs> no, no, no. You are, you are growing a human. That is definitely not useless at all. <laughs> so, yeah. So we did that. And then we had um, our scans last week, which just showed that baby is is now a whopper absolutely huge which made me really nervous because like I kind of knew baby was growing but growing but I didn't think baby was growing that much and it's just kind of like something that I, I kind of identified as when you know when I was diagnosed with diabetes and all up until I got pregnant that my team was saying to me only women with poorly controlled diabetes have big babies. So you need to control your diabetes and you won't have a big baby. And then I have controlled my diabetes, you know, to, to the, the best point of my life. So mm. like it's never been better controlled and I have a huge baby over 95th percentile. So it's just kind of like, well, why? Like if I've, you know, controlled it and it just was really hard to accept that it was outside of my control that it's just mm. something that has happened and it, it's not been until the last month or so that the doctors have actually started saying, well, it doesn't matter if you're well controlled, you'll actually probably still have a big baby. 
Mm. I was like, I feel like that should be a message that are given to women with diabetes earlier so that they don't feel like I did and just feel like they've failed at everything. Anyway, so today I guess we're talking about um, supporting women with other types of diabetes during pregnancy because I think that's something that actually comes up a lot. Like I do see judgment out there towards women with other types of diabetes and the way that they react to their types of diabetes. So often you'll see in your, and I'm seeing it a lot in my due date groups on Facebook, that women are being diagnosed with GDM and they've, it's entirely new to them. It's in a new experience during pregnancy, which is really difficult. And so they're asking really basic questions. But I think that when we live with pre-existing diabetes, it kind of, you know, a lot of women can misinterpret that as them being rude and stuff, you know, when they're saying like, oh, I don't want to go and do my glucose tolerance test because it tastes gross and it made me feel sick when I did it and stuff like that. And that I do see a fair amount of judgment on those women. So I thought, you know, today let's talk about how we do uh, kind of help women with other types of diabetes during pregnancy because, and those, the stories that they have are also, you know, worth hearing and worth listening Mm. to and worth supporting. So I guess my first question is what, if any, did you have any preconceived ideas about other forms of diabetes that you've held over the years and what did you actually discover about women living with or experiencing other forms of diabetes? I am going to jump straight on this and say that up until I actually um, met you, Ashley, in 2013, um, I lived in a very small diabetes bubble. I didn't have a lot to do with many other people with other forms of diabetes. And I also had very little to do with people with type one diabetes, just because I didn't run in those circles. I kind of, yeah, just stuck to my lane, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I used to have a really negative opinion of people with type two diabetes. um, Because in the limited experience that I had with them, they did it and they had to deal with it. And that's, I know that's a super generalized um, opinion. And I mean, when I first kind of like went off to uni and started broadening my circle um, in 2012 and then like in 2013, when I went to the world conference, like it was really eye-opening for me to be like, you are such a bitch, Carly. Like, but it really was like, I, I was making all these judgments on people because I was living with the worst kind of diabetes and I didn't do it to myself and I couldn't change it. Boo hoo me. Like, and I used to really struggle with um, the fact that also I was a bigger person with type one because I got a lot of judgment that I was obviously a type two, Mm. if that makes sense. So that would make me even more cross um, towards people with type two diabetes Um, I haven't really had a lot of experience with GDM until recently, but I really kind of, it opened my eyes in 2013, I'm going to say, that I was an idiot and that type 2 and GDM and type 1 even doesn't affect a type of person, a, you know, breed of person, a colour, a race, an age or anything. It's just, it's like a Russian roulette. It just picks someone and you are the lucky, unlucky, however you want to look at it person. And yeah, I really had to work on my own stigma, um, Mm -hmm. which I did. And now I'm like a super advocate for people with type two and GDM and type one for other people who think the way that I used to think. 
if that yeah. makes sense. It does, it does. And I'm really sorry to our listeners because that was me and it's not me anymore, I swear. (laughs) I I think that takes a lot to admit as well, like to say that you've you've had stigmas and that you've changed them. Yeah, and I guess, and that's partly because I just, like I said, stuck in my lane. Like I didn't have diabetes friends of any kind really um and it's all about this sounds super wanky but it's all about exposure like I'm sure that people who have grown up with family members with all kinds of diabetes and or friends or anything like that um would have different opinions but I had to just go with what I knew which was not a lot obviously (laughs) yeah I guess my stigmas were um not so much about the type of people that got diabetes because I didn't, I only knew one person when I was young, like when I was younger, my cousin had type one. So he was the only other person that I knew with diabetes, but I held stigmas about the life that people would be able to lead with diabetes. So if I heard the word diabetes, I automatically thought of somebody really old and really sick who had no legs even though I, like, I must have known that my cousin didn't, like, eat wrong or, you know, do any of the typical things that you would think of um, when people have those stigmas about type 2, that was, like, what I thought of everybody with diabetes was just, oh, yeah, they've done something and they've got diabetes, but I kind of definitely associated more of it as an old person's disease. So it was my stigma to kind of, like, get over that young people could get it and young people can get any type of diabetes. Yeah, no, um, I have had a very similar experience to Carly actually yeah like hearing a lot of what you said kind of resonates with my experience as well um yeah again my background with diabetes I was diagnosed when I was five and I was kind of the only person with diabetes in the groups that I associate with so socially or with family and things like that and um but then as those as as those groups kind of expanded um the only other people that I knew with type 1 diabetes or that those that I associated with knew um they were all bodybuilders or athletes or you know they were marathon runners they were very very strong people that were you know really healthy and kind of against that image of what people normally would associate with diabetes so then when people looked at me they're like oh normally what I'd get told is oh so you must have the bad type of diabetes um (laughs) so yeah for um a long time I really struggled with the the stigma and also being misdiagnosed, like misdiagnosed by people as having type two. And I mean, the media has a huge part to play in this as well, in um, just giving a bad rap for people with type two diabetes in particular. And just well, diabetes in general is crap, regardless of what type you have. But yeah, I, I think similar to Carly, I kind of had a rough time with coming to terms with type 2 diabetes when a lot of the times people thought that it was what I had because I was an overweight person and all of this. And the only people that they knew that had type 1 diabetes were these bodybuilders and athletes. 
and the comparisons it was it was pretty brutal but um it wasn't until I discovered the online diabetes community and I started to meet other people with diabetes and hearing stories of people with different types of diabetes and that it went completely against kind of the message that I've been fed by media as to what dictates someone with type 2 diabetes or someone with gestational diabetes. And I mean, um, we've had people in our family be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes that um, don't match up with the image that's presented to us by media as to what someone with diabetes should look like, you know? Um, and some of them have had diabetes um, happen as a result of pancreatic cancer or something similar. So there's been different situations that have happened and it's kind of made me realize that um, there needs to be better advocacy for all the types of diabetes because we all have protesting pancreases, we're all having a crap time and for all types of diabetes, um, I guess the general stigma and messages that are presented in mass media aren't doing any favours. It needs to be a more supportive network. Um, and gestational diabetes in particular, because normally it's it's women being thrown into the complete unknown, having to make that massive life adjustment. When you're in the middle of dealing with the unknown of pregnancy, normally for the first time. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult with that stigma that you get from the media because that is literally all people think of is just like somebody who has done the wrong thing to themselves and they deserve it and yeah it's really it's really hard to fight against and you get it as a type one you would get it so much as a type two like there was a um, I used to have a colleague who um who he was diagnosed with type two diabetes and he used to make me feel awful when I was sitting in the lunchroom and hearing what people would say about him. So I, at this point I had type one myself and I just found myself so often like telling people off and being like, you can't say this. Like mm. it doesn't matter how he got his type two. Like he was managing it really well. Like mm. he was doing his best to manage a condition that he'd just been diagnosed with. And I couldn't see how then putting him down and criticizing his food choices was going to help him in any way, shape or form. Like if somebody's being awful to you, it's not exactly a supportive environment for you to make changes. I also just think um, none of us have done this to ourselves. And yeah, that's the thing that exactly. we need to point out to everyone and anyone. Uh, I don't care what kind of diabetes someone has, type 1, type 2, type 7, LADA, I don't know, GDM, whatever. Like, mm. nobody has consciously woken up and gone, you know what? Today's the day. Yeah, exactly. I am, am going to get myself that type <laughs> 2 diabetes. Mm. I am going to get myself LADA diabetes. Like, this yeah. today's it. I'm making the decision. Nobody's done that. And mm. I don't think it really is fair on men or women or pregnant women in particular for anyone to be like oh what type do you have because did you do it to yourself because um as rachel just said Mm. when you're diagnosed with gdm you have thrust into the unknown like you may not have had anything to do with diabetes or um carb counting for a start like what the hell um and then you're also like you just said thrust into the unknown of pregnancy 
like it's not exactly an easy time to be diagnosed with anything other exactly. than a parasitic human in your stomach. Like <laughs> there is nothing, there is nothing worse in pregnancy than having to do with something extra, mm. yeah. whether it's diabetes or it's a pregnancy complication or it's just whatever. You've already got enough on your plate. Like, yeah. And having somebody go, yeah, but did you do it to yourself? And there's so Doesn't many help anyone. diseases out there that can be linked to various, you know, you could be a painter and I'm sure that there's diseases out there that are linked to paint, to painting as a, you know, as a job. And you don't really see people going, oh, but you're a painter. So you definitely deserve to get X, Y, Z. Like there's yeah, absolutely no cool. disease that anybody would pick to mm-hmm. have. That's exactly right. And I think that's the thing that, um, my my new pathway is trying to remind people that it doesn't matter whether you are whatever kind of type nobody did it to themselves and nobody yep. asked for it and nobody mm. wants it that's it yeah, and like, di- diabetes doesn't discriminate either like as we were saying that. it could anyone could get it yeah absolutely so i guess that kind of like we've started talking about it but do you girls know anybody who lives with other forms of pre-existing diabetes or who did experience gestational diabetes during their pregnancies? I love that Rachel and I, not that our audience can see this, but I'm like furiously <laughs> nodding. Yes! Like nodding is actually sort of like, yes, yes, we do know. <laughs> uh, I'll let you go first, Rachel. All right. Yeah. Um, so I knew a couple of people and um, so family member wise um i i had a, a great aunt who uh she she was like an energizer bunny um she would just she was so active in the community she was so active in her work she was so active socially um and she i think she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes quite early on like she was middle-aged i believe um and yeah, like it came out, it came out of nowhere for her. The way that she just kept going on with everything she did in her everyday life, um, it, I think it kind of was a good role model to me, I guess. Especially early on when I didn't really know any other people with diabetes when I was younger, and my aunt, who was a huge advocate for education and for learning and traveling and things, it was it was good to have that family connection um, that I could see, oh, she's got diabetes, but she's still doing all these amazing things. So um, it was kind of thanks to my aunt that I decided to go traveling and do a lot of things when I was younger. And she was a really good influence for me. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. And um, yeah, we've had other family members um, be diagnosed with diabetes as a reaction to um, pancreatic cancer or um, tumours around their pancreas. Um, so it was kind of connected or it resulted based on that. I don't know the, the full details, but they kind of thought it was going to come to that stage anyway based on where their cancer was at and how it was attacking the pancreas. So they were kind of prepared, but still being thrust into having to do injections and extra medication and things like that. Um, luckily, I was living with them at the time that they were... Um, they received the diagnosis, so um, I was able to help out with getting the hang of injections and different types of insulin and how to store it and this, that, and the other. So um, 
that was handy. And um, they also found themselves a really good support team as well. So I think something I really wanted um, to help them with is knowing that they can be um, an advocate. If they're not happy with their the service they're getting, they can seek a second opinion or they can go elsewhere. And also that, yeah, they don't need to feel like they're being judged and the language that their healthcare providers is are using towards them is super, super important. So if they're feeling judged or stigmatised, then go and find another provider. And um, that's what they did. And, and it seems to be working. They seem to be happier with where they're at. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I had a, a friend actually um, get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Um, and it completely as well threw her into the world of carb counting and recording all levels in the record book and things like that. And um, yeah, even in the work, um, in the workplace, I knew, I knew her through work, checking her blood sugars as well. Um, she kind of set up as a routine, which was really, yeah, I, I thought it, I was quite, um, what's the right word? I, yeah, good. Like I, I thought she was doing an amazing job dealing with something that was so out of the ordinary and um, of her usual routine as well. And I, I remember in mornings, I do my breakfast blood sugar at work and she'd do hers and we'd kind of be like, oh, how'd you go? How'd you go? Um, it was kind of, it was interesting seeing the, what they expected levels wise for her compared to what I was dealing with. I think this was several years ago when I was kind of still adjusting to coming out of diabetes burnout. So I was probably extra hard on myself, but I was like, oh, my levels aren't that great compared to the targets that she's trying to get. And I mean, in hindsight now, I'm like, everyone's personal target is their own and comparison is like the worst thing that you can do. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think... I just tried to help support her with doing the things that I've done for so long, but I know were so new to her, like the blood tests and writing everything down and um, figuring out good food choices and things like that. Like things that came second nature to me, I kind of had to have a reality check and go, this is completely new for her. And like, I should be supporting her not, you know, just going, Oh, this is easy. Just realizing acknowledging that it is very difficult yeah oh I like that you guys kind of had like your own little breakfast club of blood sugar checking <laughs> yeah yeah that's it and then like and then when she went on that leave I was like oh <laughs> that's just me <laughs> the diabetes friend is gone <laughs> it was kind of cool for like several months hearing like the blood glucose machine beep yeah. going off around the office and I was like oh I'm not the only one but then, but then, yeah, and that leave happened and it was me on my own again. So, you know, but yeah, it was really fun. I um, also have some work buddies. So when I first started uh, at my school, it was just me, as per usual, lonesome little diabetes girl. Um, since I've started there, we actually now have two other type ones and a type two. Um, and we have also had one of our... Uh, teachers who has had kids uh have gdm twice mm. with both her babies oh. um it's so prevalent from. and you don't realize how many people yeah. have diabetes until you until you start talking openly with them 
Yeah, and it was kind of funny because I'm uh, as I've just always been like, yep, I'm a diabetes girl. Like everyone, come and learn. Like I want to <laughs> tell everyone about it. I've never, like, I mean, after my burnout in my teenage years, but I've always just been very open about it. And mm. um, and it was interesting because the staff member that we have who has type two, um, it is like super secret. Like she does not want to tell hardly anyone um about it like it's really she's I guess really embarrassed by it and um yeah there's like a lot of I can see there's a lot of stigma with her and that diagnosis and what she's attached to it because she is one of those uh, like I said before like the non-stereotypically diagnosed people like she's a avid sportswoman she plays hockey every weekend like she's not overweight she's not that that's the only factors but it's so that media picture that you see of people with type 2 diabetes mm, yeah. she does not fit it in the slightest like there is nothing by and I say this with air quotations for those listening but there is nothing by looking at her she doesn't look like a type 2 diabetic which is such a rubbish thing to say because who mm. knows what they look like they look like everyone yeah. um but and I guess for her though she's really embarrassed because of that um yeah. and we've had a lot we've had many many conversations about it but also many hushed conversations about it like she'll want to talk to me like by myself in the playground um or like by myself in our classroom with all the doors shut and things like that um and yeah, our other type ones, it's been really open. I've actually worked with um, another woman who was diagnosed when she was a child like me when she was eight. And I also work with a woman who was diagnosed when she was in her thirties. Oh yeah. So Catherine's uh, in her mid thirties now. She's only had diabetes for maybe two or three years. Um, and yeah, so she was diagnosed in her early thirties with type one. Um, and yeah. And then one of our teachers who had, currently has no long-term effects from her GDM diagnosis. So she's had two bubs and with both her bubs, she had GDM. So like I was saying before about my lane being really small with like just Mm. me in it. Mm. Now my lane is like super wide. It's like a freeway of diabetes. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And like, and obviously like with our online community and with this podcast and now like the people who I um, surround myself with, with a type one, type two, GDM, all kinds of diabetes is like huge. It's massive. Mm. Um, and it's actually a real mind trip for me to think like eight years ago when I moved away from home to start uni, I literally knew like three people, including myself mm. with any kind of diabetes. Um, and now I meet up with you guys almost weekly yeah. um, and here are three people with type one and our community that's got like hundreds of people in it online and like these I work in a community like I work in a school where now there's like five people with a kind of diabetes there and I just think it's crazy yeah it's just like I guess what you were saying Ashley that you don't even realize sometimes how prevalent diabetes is mm. um, until you start having those open conversations with people and being like hi I have this you have this or let's talk about what you know about this kind of thing with other people. And then you like, I guess the conversations as well, I've had about people who go, Oh, I don't have it, but I know blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and it's like, Oh, that connection's made. And yeah, that's six degrees of separation. Yeah. So yeah. What about you, yeah. Ashley? Um, yeah, I guess I found out um, when I was working as a medical receptionist, 
Um, and I'd just been diagnosed with type one myself, but um, had just kind of started talking about it to some of the other people that I worked with. And then um, one of the other receptionists stuck up her hand and said, Oh, I have type two. Um, mm. And she was like, and she, she wasn't your, you know, your stereotypical media um, representation of type two either. She was uh, in her thirties, I think, and got it in her thirties um, just before she had her son. Um, and so I found it really good to speak to her uh, after, after I found out that she had type two. It was very um, inspiring actually to speak to her about how she managed her pregnancy having recently been diagnosed with type two diabetes. Um, and I've actually in my own pregnancy kind of carried through some of what she had, she said to me. Awesome. So she, um, as a type two had to, she talked about having to advocate for herself um, where she was feeling pushed into decisions um, that she didn't want to make or that she didn't feel right were right for her because of her type two diabetes um, and ended up just kind of, you know, standing up for, what she thought was best for her and her baby. And it all worked out well for her and her baby, but that's kind of like, it was an early seed of inspiration, I guess, for me to listen to her story as a woman with type two diabetes fighting for what she wanted, despite being recently diagnosed and working mm. through all the stigmas and everything that came with um, her diagnosis. And then uh, more recently, my uh, somebody very close to me, had uh, gestational diabetes during their pregnancy. Um, and I, I found that difficult actually to deal with just because I, I do have type one diabetes um, and I didn't want this person to experience diabetes. So I think finding other people with diabetes, um, that is one of the hardest things that I find is knowing that they're also going through what I'm going through and I don't want anybody else to be experiencing that. Like I love our diabetes community, but I don't want anybody to be going through that. <laughs> and I completely agree. I love it, but I hate how we all met. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's like the worst way to meet people that you love. So <laughs> yeah. So um, that was a really interesting experience. And I found um, that it really kind of highlighted for me exactly how little support that is for women who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Absolutely. Um, you know, and how hard it is for them to figure out what they're supposed to be doing when they're pregnant because the diabetes is, for the most part, short-term. Hmm. Um, and they're expected to learn what we learn over years and years of That's having it. diabetes in a few weeks so that they can manage their diabetes well for themselves and for their baby um, and that was one of the things that, you know, going back to when I was, we were talking about um, our weeks earlier and I was saying how I found it um, difficult that none of my healthcare providers had ever said, well, you could just have a big baby because you're going to have a bigger baby. And despite being well controlled, was that that message is actually really drilled into people with GDM as well. Yeah. So this person who's close to me got the message from her healthcare providers that, well, if you have a big baby, it's because your GDM isn't well controlled. And the messages that I was getting from her was, oh my gosh, my blood sugar is seven after a meal and my baby is this percentile. Like, it, you know, what, what can I do? Because I don't want to have a big baby because of my diabetes. And 
It's yeah, so, so hard. It is. And it's like we that person was doing so everything that they could do, like following advice. Like it was like you literally can't be doing anything better. So mm. yeah. And like I was like it, we we've had it for so long, and I know like um, and I just go back to like Bump Baby and Beyond, but like it shared there so often that you know w- one bad blood sugar is not the be all and end all of, of yeah. the pregnancy or of a baby, even a couple of days, like, you know, when you're dealing with a sickness or dealing with something. Um, but like we've lived with it for so long mm. and we still are like, Oh my gosh, I woke up this morning and my sugar was nine. Oh, what's happened to the baby. And yeah. we know because we've lived with it for years and we've been yeah. part of this community and are constantly reassured by like healthcare professionals and women, um, you know, who are educators and have type one and all these things. And it's still like made my heart jump a million times a day. Like if my blood sugar was not where I needed it to be. And I've been living with this for ages, let alone yeah. someone who's just diagnosed and they're told be good or else. Mm. And then that's kind of it. Yeah, like they just kind of be good and pushed back out into the world and are expected to manage an incredibly frustrating illness because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like I'm doing the best ever and I'm like eating low carb and I'm exercising heaps and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and my sugar's like 15 and it's like I can't do any better. Mm, yeah. So why is it doing this? I'm doing all the things that the doctors have said and I'm still having a crap day. It, it goes to show, like, I, I really just, I, I've seen how supportive online communities can be for people with type 1 diabetes. And it, it really, I feel really sad when seeing that there's not the same type of support there for women who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes. They don't have such a similar network. And um, also, I would absolutely love for someone that's been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Um, I, I'd love to hear their story. So, I mean, if there's anyone listening that knows someone who has a story about gestational diabetes that um, would be willing to share what they went through with their pregnancy journey with us, get in touch with us. Cause I'd love to hear that story, like hearing yeah. it from someone who's gone through it. But I mean, um, it was good to hear Kim's story when she was And on. Kim's as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That was I loved great. listening to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it goes to show like for us, especially if we've had type one diabetes for such a long time, we kind of go into the pregnancy journey, kind of knowing a little bit about what to expect in terms of the, the stigma that's presented to us in our pregnancy journey or any of that sort of negative talk that we may hear from healthcare professionals, because Unfortunately, some of us may have experienced that throughout our years of having diabetes. But then, yeah, as Carly, you were saying, for someone with gestational diabetes, to have that type of fear just thrown on you while you're trying to deal with pregnancy, it's just, it's full on and it's brutal and it shouldn't be that way. And, um, yeah, I just wish there was better communities out there for women with gestational diabetes. Like, Studies have shown as well, according to, I think it's according to Diabetes Australia, that um, up to 60% of women with gestational diabetes um, may have that become type 2 diabetes as well. So can you, 
I just, oh, it would be so hard adjusting to all of that whilst managing having a new human to look after. So I, th- I think we all just need to be better advocates for each other, especially because we kind of know what the experience is like. Um, and I mean, something that's been shown to me that's more prevalent is regards to the type of diabetes that you have, everyone kind of feels that guilt about it. As we were saying before, like, everyone's going to have that. Yep. And I think that we as type ones coming into pregnancy and therefore knowing a little bit about, um, you know, pregnancy and its impacts on diabetes and, and knowing our own diabetes a bit better, that we're actually in a better position to advocate for ourselves. Whereas what I found with this person who I'm really close to um, was that, they didn't know how to advocate for themselves with their gestational diabetes. It was just, they were so overwhelmed with learning how to treat their diabetes. um, And, you know, the way that the health professionals were talking to them, that when it came to points of needing to advocate, even to say, like uh, if they were having problems, how to go back to the hospital and say, I'm having problems and I deserve more help with this. Uh, that that was difficult for them. And it was often that I would have to push and say, no, you do deserve better. Um, so go back, call, you know, call the, the line, you know, the um, appointments line and request another appointment and, and advocate for yourself if you feel that you're not getting the care that you need. But it was so difficult for them to do that because they just felt like overwhelmed and, that the messages that they were getting were that anything that was happening was their fault. And And I think that's something that this is possibly going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'll stand by it. I think it's something that we as people with type one diabetes and especially as pregnant women or, you know, mums with type one, like just women with children or in that realm of children. um, I think that we are so hard on other types of, diabetes because Mm. being pregnant with type one is very difficult. I'm not saying that being pregnant with type two or GDM or things aren't difficult, but I think that um, like sometimes online I see like people get really riled up um, over like memes and stuff Mm. and, and then they've got a, you know, this needs to be um, made like this is type two this isn't type one and it's like but that's a stigma that you're then putting on it yourself mm-hmm, and you yeah. wonder why people you know with these other types of diabetes maybe don't ask for the help or f- don't feel comfortable asking for the help like Ashley was just saying that's because it. we as I guess um, I know I guess the word vocal like type I feel like type ones um, or people with type one diabetes are generally more vocal than other types agree. of diabetes yeah. i um, see our voices loudly and not so many other voices yeah and i feel like it's our responsibility then to use those voices wisely because i feel like sometimes in trying to advocate for ourselves mm. we fall down the rabbit hole of stigmatizing other types in an attempt to advocate for ourselves mm. yeah and i mean i have received some not very nice messages online um, for that opinion. And I'm happy to speak with anyone who wants to speak with me about it. But I think that it's something that we 
really need to do better as a whole, not as a, um, you know, pointer finger thing, but I think that people with type one as a whole really do need to work at supporting people with other types of diabetes and make sure that when we are advocating for ourselves, we are more inclusive. Yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, I think we need to find a better way to advocate without stigmatizing other types of diabetes accidentally or not. If yeah. that makes sense. No, I, I fully agree. And I see it everywhere. Like the sometimes when I'm talking to parents of children with type one diabetes, that they're the first ones to throw a person with type two under the bus. Yeah. They're the first to say, no, my child, you know, didn't doesn't deserve this, but this, you know, other person deserves this because XYZ. Oh, that's horrible. I find I find it so difficult to deal with that mm. um that viewpoint when people bring that up and I get so like I have to like calm myself down before I can talk to them and kind of like point out how they, they're actually hurting themselves by saying that as well. Like it's not helping anybody at all to say that the media is part right when it comes to a certain type of diabetes, um, but we should be exempt. And because so long as people think that diabetes, any type of diabetes is related to, poor lifestyle choices or that it's something that we've actively chosen to do, Mm. then all types of diabetes will be painted with that brush. And I think that's especially difficult with GDM. Yes. Or those people that, um, like Rachel was saying, it may develop into another type of diabetes later on. I I do know a person with type one now who had GDM um, like Mm. 15 years ago and it later developed into type one. But like those people who did nothing but have a baby. Yeah. And I guess um, like a a friend that I have who um, had GDM, like her husband is really good friends with my husband. And she uh, brought up a question once, what if I never had her son? Would, Would I now, would I still have a higher risk of developing diabetes because of just my life what if I never had him and then Mm. she burst into tears talking to me about that because she said how could I be questioning that how could I ask that of myself what if I didn't have my son um and it's like I have never had to think about something like that yeah and you know she is one of those people who you know is very fit plays hockey a different person to the other person who plays hockey bloody hockey in this town um Mm. but like she's very active she gyms she plays two different kinds of sports she's a PE teacher like active is her life and her biggest question was a how did this happen to me because I'm not overweight I'm not this I'm not that I don't smoke I don't drink um all these kinds of things and then yeah to ask after her pregnancy they said you're now at a higher risk of developing other types of diabetes and then for her to say, but what if I never had my son? And I've never had to question my children mm. or their impact on my life because I have type one and I'm going to have it for a very bloody long time unless someone can find a cure for it. And I've never had to cross my mind about the impacts that my children had on my diabetes or on my life or on my future life, but she has. And it's just so sad I guess or so like I mean it hurts my heart for her Mm. to have been dealing with a GDM diagnosis during her first pregnancy something that's meant to be you know not that any pregnancy is not exciting but your first pregnancy Mm. is always like oh I don't know some kind of like amazing thing um 
and your second pregnancy is cool too, but not as cool if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it, it tainted that for her. And, you know, she's holding off on having another baby because she's worried that she'll have another GDM diagnosis and that she may not um, come out of it because she was told that when she had her first GDM diagnosis that maybe after pregnancy, she'll still have diabetes. And she was one of those people who it went away, but now she's scared to have another baby. And it's like, who in our T1 communities had to consider that? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my diabetes is going to get hell worse if I have another baby. Maybe I'll never have any more children, even though I want to have a lot. Mm. And it's yeah. a stigma, I think, that people don't consider with GDM or even type 2 um, how that's impacted by pregnancy. People just go, you did it or you didn't do enough. So uh, too bad, so sad, <laughs> which is yeah. not fair. And I guess on a similar vein, people with other forms of, di- so with other forms of diabetes, like type two, maybe themselves be questioning, you know, because of, of the stigma with type two, what did I do to to get type two. And again, we yeah. don't have to question that. We just take it as a given of, uh, my immune system sucks. Like it, it's really yeah. crappy at regulating what it should and should not destroy. But like, I'm happy with that as an explanation. Like, I don't really have to question that explanation. Like I got, I got an autoimmune disease. Okay. Mm. But I don't have to sit there and like analyze every moment from my life mm. to see if that's what contributed to, to my disease when it, you know, for somebody with type two, it's maybe inevitable anyway. Like it could just be their genes. I, th- I can't remember what the actual statistic is for Asian people, but if you're of a certain ethnic background, like there's X percent chance that you're more likely to get it just because of your um, genes, like just because of your ethnicity. Well, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are just genetically right. more disposed to type, dis- disposed, disposed, thank yeah. you, to type two diabetes just same because with, same like, with Asian people like just because they're Asian like and it's ridiculous and but they don't realize that and then instead they sit there and they analyze what they could have been doing differently but it's also one of those things where um like as we know as women who are, are in pregnancy or have been in pregnancy um sometimes no matter what you do there is no changing the outcome um, yes hello the, big baby <laughs> But, and that's exactly right. And do you want to know what? I am sick to death of hearing that if you exercise more, eat less, um, or check your sugar more, your type 2 will go away. Mm. Yeah. Not actually a fact. Like, it, it may help a lot of people, but it's not a given. And it's the same with GDM. You, just because you eat well, exercise, and test your sugar, it doesn't guarantee that your GDM is going to be fine because it just doesn't and it also doesn't guarantee that you won't get type 2 later or you won't get type 1 later or like Mm -hmm. there is no guarantees with with this disease with diabetes of any kind or type um you can do your best but i i really struggle with um healthcare professionals and also people with other types type ones to type others or type 2s to type 1s or however you want to look at it trying to tell each other how to manage something that they don't have yeah yeah i think we need to work at supporting each other without telling each other because i don't live with type 2 i never lived with gestational diabetes like i can support the women that i work with who have this illness 
but I can't tell them what to do because I don't have what they have and they don't have what I have. So it's hard because you want to help and you want to advise and you want to be like, oh, but try this or but try that. But it's got nothing to do with me. And yeah, it's it's hard. And I think it's something that we as a whole community need to work on together. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that kind of, it brings up a good point that as people with diabetes, regardless of what type it is, we're all getting so much judgment externally mm-hmm. that it's so harmful for us to be judging each other based on the type of the diabetes we have. And I mean, this is probably a terrible analogy, but especially for, um, I guess from my experience, especially for people who have had type one and have had that additional support and the ability to have your voice heard it can be a case of potentially like checking your diabetes privilege in and realizing that there are more vulnerable voices that need to be heard in the diabetes communities online like we we have been quite lucky and privileged as people with type 1 diabetes to have such strong advocacy and loud voices against the media, against the kind of rhetoric that we're being fed online as to what we should or shouldn't be doing. But we really need to sort of step back and realise that there are people who are needing so much more support and don't have that opportunity, who have diabetes and don't have that. So I I 100% think we need to be doing more. And, yeah, I I think after this conversation, I think it's it's making me realise, like, I definitely need to be seeing what I can do for um, our comrades. Comrades in, you can't say comrades in arms. Can we say comrades in pancreases? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or lack thereof. Or, or yeah. lack thereof. <laughs> but, yeah. Comrades I mean, in dead pancreases. <laughs> but I really love what you just said there, Rachel. Um, check your diabetes privilege. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, diabetes sucks, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's so true in that, like, people... And I, again, I say this like very generalized and that's how I'm speaking in all terms. Like a lot of people with type one, I think are not numb, but they don't realize how loud our voices are Mm. because they're immersed in a type one world or a type one community. And whilst a lot of the time, like we are still as people with type one diabetes, educating our healthcare professionals, especially during pregnancy, I felt like I was banging my head against a wall so many times trying to explain to someone who had nothing to do with managing my diabetes, like check yourself. My endocrinologist can do that. Yeah. Like you're here to measure my cervix. You're not here to tell me how to change my basal rates. Like, um, and that's super important, but I think that, yeah, a lot of people forget, just how loud type one advocacy is in comparison to other advocacy it's not that it's not out there it's just in my opinion not as loud as type Mm. one which sucks for those forms of diabetes yeah and i'd absolutely love to see like something similar to what we have here Mm -hmm. um better like for women with other types of diabetes out there. Like we need the stories of women who've gone through different types of diabetes and their pregnancy journey out there as well. Get in touch with us. Yes. Get in touch with us. (laughs) We want to, we want to hear more. (laughs) Exactly. Which sort of like that conversation there brings me kind of to the last question that I'll ask because we are running out of time (laughs) is how can we support a woman with another form of diabetes during pregnancy? I'm going to say diabetes during pregnancy, because if we started talking about, 
in general, then this would just be huge. Hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So very specifically in pregnancy, how do you support another woman living with diabetes, with another form of diabetes? I would say exactly what you said before, Ashley, encourage them to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Um, that's not telling them what to do. That's not telling them how to manage their diabetes or anything. I think just the best way, in my opinion, that we can support women with other types of diabetes in pregnancy is listen for a start. Um, and when they raise issues or concerns that maybe they're not receiving the care that they want or that they think that they should be it's just that encouragement and support to go and get another opinion or go and make another appointment like you said of your friend um just being there i get like like a cheerleader on the side like you can ask these questions you can get a second opinion you can demand better care because you can yeah and i think that like you were saying women with other types of diabetes i think sometimes feel I don't know whether it's embarrassed or ashamed or um, that they're worried about the judgment of, you know, asking that question, like, is it a dumb question or am I going to be judged because my blood sugars are seven after meals or like whatever the situation is and just encouraging them to do it anyway. Yeah. Support, 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 encourage, encourage, encourage. That's my advocate. <laughs> advocate, advocate, advocate. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, listening to that judgment as well. And I mean, I was probably crap at doing this initially. Like I, I'd listen to women with gestational diabetes and they'd go, Oh yeah. The whole, my blood sugar seven after a meal. What do I do? And I mean, past Rachel would have been like, Oh my God, I wish my level was seven, but you know, like realizing that everyone has their own different journey, their own expectations as to um, what they should and should be doing. And yeah, listening without that, judgment but yeah 100% what you guys have said I think for me it's that um kind of that stigma stuff because that, that I think that played heavily into um the person that I'm close with that their gestational diabetes was the stigma that the health professionals were putting on them and this person did need to go on to insulin um and the messages that I got were I'm on insulin I've I, the, because I can't look after my diabetes and the, one of the things that we take for granted as type one is that we know insulin is good, that we know it's helpful to us. But for other people with other forms of diabetes, it's actually not delivered that way by health professionals. Health professionals will often use it as a weapon or as a means to scare them into controlling their diabetes in a different way. So it's used to, to say, well, if you don't do well, you'll have to go into insulin. Um, and so that was a point that I found really difficult to explain was that, and I think that this person did kind of understand that in the end, they got a lot more confident with it, but it was just kind of like saying that you don't, you know, that stigma is not related, like it's not real. Like you're not going on to insulin because you've done poorly. You going on to insulin because that's what your body needs. Like yeah. that's what's most helpful for you and for baby and why wouldn't you want to do the thing that's most helpful for you and for baby? And it might mean that you can cut yourself a bit more slack. Like it, it's going to help with those blood sugars. You're not going to be as worried. And I completely agree. And I also think that's really important to, <clears throat> sorry, support these women like with their own mental health. Yes. And encouraging them to, whether it's even just speaking to you, 
as their friend just just to vent that to somebody who like Rachel was saying can listen without judgment Mm. um or if you know they may need to speak to somebody with a bit more professional help than me like Mm. you know and encouraging them to do that because I think that's another thing as well as women a lot of women feel like they can't ask for mental health support because it makes them look weak or it makes them look mm. like a bad mum or a bad mum to be. And um, if they get that support, you know, people are going to think that I can't look after my kids or whatever. Um, but I think that we, I, at the best of times, need professional help with my own mental health and managing mm. my day-to-day life, let alone, as we've already said, somebody in the midst of a pregnancy and in the midst of a diabetes diagnosis and, you know, going through all this brand new stuff. Um, so I think that's another really big thing too, is to help, you know, push isn't the right word, but just make sure that they know that that mental health support is out there mm. and is made for them and there's no shame or embarrassment or anything associated with that because I think that in amongst this new world that that person with GDM may be living in and the stigma and shame associated with that I think it's just compounds on top of one another and I think it's really important for that help to be out there and for that person to seek it. I agree yeah Hmm. definitely actually one thing that I found was um for women with other forms of diabetes and this is coming more from the due date groups that I'm in is that once people you know have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes they are actually looking for more of the lived experience tips and whilst we we don't want to do um, what you spoke about earlier Carly we don't want to try and prescribe our own um, how we manage our diabetes to them we can still offer lived experience Mm. So, you know, I've seen a few women complain about how painful finger pricking is and that that's the thing that at the end of a hard week is getting them down. And it may not seem like a lot to us because we finger prick all of the time, but if you take into account whatever else is happening in their life and the finger pricking is the thing that just clicks it over the edge for them, like we can talk about the genteel lancet or we can talk about how you know, AccuCheck or, you know, something else worked better for us and just give them a few options to try. Yeah. Things like that. Like I just find that being able to say you could try this again. So we're not saying this is what works for me and will will therefore work for you. It's what our disclaimer is. (laughs) Or like, you know, you've got to try, you've got to speak with your own medical team. Um, But just giving them options to think about. Mm-hmm. And because often they're being only given one option by their healthcare professional because the healthcare professional is just interested in getting them through their gestational diabetes and delivering a healthy baby. And they're not particularly worried about the little tiny parts of living with diabetes that we know can impact. And it also might just be that that healthcare professional is comfortable with one way of managing. Yeah. Um, I love my team, but they really didn't like me being on my old um, pump, my Animas pump, because they were all Medtronic. And I was like, no, I'm good. Hey, I'm not changing. And that was a real shock for them because they were just so used to managing it one way and their push was move, move, move. Um, So it might just be something like that, that that team is comfortable with something and they just might not want to (laughs) change. Thanks for joining us for another week of Mama Babies. For more information on other forms of diabetes, including gestational diabetes and type 2 diabetes, 
please reach out to your local state diabetes organisation or the NDSS. You can find several fact sheets listed on the NDSS website. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode and leave us a review so that others can find us too. Remember to follow us on Facebook, just search Mama Beaties, Twitter at Mama Beaties, or on Instagram at Mama Beaties underscore podcast. To reach out, please email us at mamabeaties.podcast at gmail.com. If during this podcast series you feel you need to reach out for additional support, please contact your usual treating team, Panda's National Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Helpline on 1300 726 306 or Lifeline on 13 11 14 outside of Panda's operating.